Hey folks, uh, welcome to CTF Radio. Adam D here with Zardis. Zardis, you want to say hi? Hello, everybody. How is it going out there? I hope I hope well for everyone. So we have a very special episode today on CTF Radio. Um, for the we're going to continue our series in talking with the creators of challenges of DefCon 28 CTF. And so today we're going to be jumping into what seemed to be a little bit of a of a fan favorite of Ropship AI. And in addition to that, we don't just have the organizer, Antonio Bianchi, here with us, which is going to be great. Uh, but we also have three players from PPP who will remain anonymous until we introduce them. So you can wait for that uh, beautiful, beautiful reveal. And that way they can tell what it was like from the player's perspective. And so, Jan, I think this will be a super fun way for people to kind of get inside the heads of both organizers and players. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, as you were saying earlier, it's very easy to see when you're uh, spectating a CTF, right? These these hacking gods sitting there um, doing, you know, incredible things. But yeah. inside, most of them are actually human. So that, that'll be awesome. Do you have any evidence for it. those that are not or just suspicions? Uh, just suspicions for now. Okay, that's good. Yeah, let's leave it at that. You know, we, we don't want to... One, one no day, you all sit down at a CTF and there will be a captcha and then we'll know. <laughs> Didn't we do that uh, DEFCON 26? Or <laughs> no, that's that proof, proof of work. work. That's actually the oh, opposite. Proof of work. That's, yeah, okay. That's uh, nothing to do with the uh, <laughs> CAPTCHA. Yeah, that gave the uh, machines more of a benefit. So if we in any way accelerated the Skynet evolution, we apologize greatly for that. Exactly. Actually, you know what would be really cool is a CAPTCHA instead of a proof of work. That, that, I, th yeah, maybe... I think that will go over super well. The community will love it. A CAPTCHA TF. CAPTCHA the flag? No? There you go. Okay, great. Uh, let's get Antonio in here. On the fly, yeah. So Antonio, come on in. Um, so this is Antonio Bianchi. Oh. What's your hacker handle, Antonio? Uh, Antonoob. Antonoob, yeah. So does that mean you're a big noob or not a noob? No, no, a, I'm a big noob. Okay, good, good. Yeah, big we're all- Big noob is big problems. Exactly. We're all either noobs at heart, or I think we're noobs in other areas that people are amazing at, right? I think that's something that's really important to keep in mind is you sit me in front of a crypto challenge and I will struggle like a noob who just learned about RSA. So everyone uh, is a always... little noob sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And in some way. Cool. All right, Antonio. So you created the Ropship AI challenge, right? Yeah. So why don't you, can you try to explain to people, and remember we're on a podcast, it's an audio medium, what was Ropship AI? Okay, so so Ropship AI was presented at this DEF CON, so a few months ago, and it was kind at of the... DEF CON 28 CTF? It kind of was, um, in a sense, the evolution of a previous challenge that was called Ropship. So, and in Ropship, oh. uh, what you had to do was to... Um, write the logic to play a simple game, a very simple game, uh -huh. um, where um, some ships, in theory, uh, shoot at each other. But the game is it looks more like triangles to me. Yes, so triangles because uh, use your imagination to consider them as ships. Yes, exactly. You're, uh, hackers, not not game developers. Exactly. That's the thing we're new at. So you in the previous... something. add it to the list. <laughs> So in, in the first, uh, in a ROP ship, you had to write your logic as a ROP chain. And so 
it was kind of challenging because you you know you you only had the availability of small gadgets and you had to chain them together to create some sort of logic that allow you to play the game. So in Robship AI, uh, the idea and before was... we before we dive in for Robship, so what kind of a challenge was it? Right, Jan and I have talked in the past about the different types of CTF challenges, right? So this was in yes, uh, so Defcon. it was at Defcon final. It was done as a as a King of the Hill, and because it's a, it's a nice it's a, it's a kind of a natural way to do a competitive game. So since it was a competitive game against the sixteen uh, between uh, the the among the sixteen um, players for the Fcon finals, so the the team scoring the most was the team getting points for a specific round. I see. So it's roughly five minute rounds. So to kind of paint a picture, right? We kind of had this arena of this circle in the original ROP ship. And you had 16 teams, which were each, uh, let's say, wedge shaped or triangle shaped that were started around the circle. And then when the game started, essentially nothing happened, right? So yes. especially when the challenge was first out, nothing happened. Nobody moved. It was a very, very boring game. So what actions were the ships able to do? Yeah, so by implementing a logic, uh, you could uh, shoot, defend. Uh, the defend means activating some sort of shield and then moving. So that was only, and the shield was only on for a certain amount of time, yes, right? It was a yes. fixed. You cannot and then use run it. out for the round. So you, 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 can, you uh, cannot use it forever, yeah. yeah. So moving right, moving left, and uh, forward and backward. And so well, when you say moving, it's rotating, rotating, actually, right? rotating. So yes. Yeah. So you could rotate yes. counterclockwise and clockwise so, or left and right. I guess. So, so because of this, Starboard and port? I don't know. Because of this, at the beginning, uh, you could teams implemented very easy logics in which you just maybe you're just turning right and shooting randomly. And this is mm -hmm. enough at the beginning because other teams, they just are just not moving. And so you're scoring. And then uh, you can try to implement more sophisticated things like uh, activating the shield when someone is about to hit you or trying to oh. evade or trying to move. Mm -hmm. and, and So then this yeah. for the this original ROP ship, right? So the kind of concept was that you had this notion of a... Uh, essentially, can you, can you describe how they program this logic? Because I think that may yes. help people try to so, understand. Because it sounds, from what you're saying, very easy. Like, I, yeah, yeah, I can play, you know, I played DOS games where you turn and shoot even on my TI-83 calculator. Yeah, so the, the game it was easy. But the way in which you were supposed to program this logic was uh, not easy at all. Because you had to program this logic by writing a ROP chain. So by basically chaining together very small uh, instructions, so three bytes instructions. Mm -hmm. You basically had access or, uh, uh, to three bytes instructions and that you could chain together as you wanted. And you could, so for instance, implementing uh, some logic that was reading from a memory location uh, where, the near, where an enemy was, and then uh, based on these was a shooting or turning right. But doing okay, these cool. only by concatenating three uh, bytes instructions, it's uh, very hard. And uh, cool. so then, Jan, can yeah. you can you kind of tie in? So, what does like a ROP payload have to do with security? Like, where's the security tie in here? Sure. Um, so, 
in a typical exploitation phase, right? You might um, overflow the uh, some sort of a buffer on what is called the program stack. It's a piece of memory that holds the history of what uh, functions you've been executing. If you have a program that has uh, a hello world function that will print hello world, and that function calls the actual print function to print it, on the stack you track, okay, we started out in the hello function and then we're going into the world function. So kind of like a, breadcrumbs. It's like a trail of A trail of breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs that you can follow back to when, when you're done printing to do whatever mm -hmm. the next um, thing you want to print is. And what um, a common class of vulnerabilities um, called the stack buffer overflow does is um, clobber overwrite that trail of breadcrumbs and replace it with a trail of breadcrumbs controlled by the attacker. Mm -hmm. So then you have this interesting um, challenge for the attacker where by carefully choosing which breadcrumbs, even as they kind of execute almost backwards, they mm -hmm. can choose pieces of the program that when stitched together will accomplish some sinister goals, such as in this case, playing uh, a fun asteroids like video game. Awesome. Cool. So yeah, so okay, so this I think then uh, gives people an idea of the original uh, prop ship, Antonio. Yes. Uh, do you have anything more to say about so the what, original? Uh, in fact, maybe some of our players will um, have played the original and they could also um, talk yeah, about that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, why don't we bring in our, our fantastic special guests. So uh, everyone, we're super happy today to have uh, three people from the legendary hacking team PPP. Uh, we have Jay, Corwin, and Matt, who all have handles that'll probably get used somehow throughout here. So say hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome, guys. Hey. Awesome. Great to have you all here. So why don't we to get to know each other a little bit better? Matt, maybe you can tell us first about how did you first get into CTFs? Sure. So I was an intern at a company called MITRE. Um, in the summer mm -hmm. between my junior and senior year of high school. So that would have been 2014. Um, mm -hmm. And I saw an email blast one day that went out to all the interns that said like, hey, we're running this competition. It's called the Capture the Flag. Um, it's a computer security thing. And I was like, I don't know about this. But a couple of my friends said, hey, let's do it. <laughs> um, and I played and I was almost completely useless, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, Amazing. So Do you was... remember any of the challenges or anything from that CTF? Oh, I, I remember at the end we were working on some, I, I think it was, there was a, a web server that was mm -hmm. vulnerable to Heartbleed. And you had to use that Ooh. to leak a whole bunch of files or something. I remember there was some some crazy, enormous file server that had like a billion doc files on it or something. And we didn't quite just, get that just one. Just to but... jump in on, on top of you, yeah, Matt, please. I still actually have those files on my Amazing. computer, I was like cleaning up old trash. I'm like, what? My my hard disk is out of space, and I like saw what what is the, all this heart bleed? Like, I have like hundreds of gigabytes of just like heartbeat <laughs> junk from Mitre CTF 2014, like sitting on my laptop. Oh so, my god! Anyway, that's, sorry. Can that's go amazing. on? <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. Um, let's see. I remember uh, later that summer, I played a couple more CTFs with the same team. I remember mm -hmm. one of them was Volga CTF of that year, I think. Uh -huh. um, and then back when the when the semester actually started up again, I ended up playing uh, Pico CTF, which was my probably the biggest early CTF I played was Pico CTF twenty fourteen. Cool. Um, and my team placed fourth, unfortunately, so we weren't one of the finalists that actually got to go to CMU and meet oh. PPP people. But uh, eventually, I got into CMU, um, and then <laughs> two of my friends, Corwin, who's here, and Zach, uh, dragged me to PPP, and I've been playing a whole bunch ever since. 
Oh, awesome. Super cool. All right, Corwin, why don't you go next since you, uh, you know, had that experience? I think we've literally all had this where I have like DEF CON 2011 <laughs> folder in Dropbox because yeah. that's what we used yeah. to play. Just and like then there's always shop. the one challenge that that is like gigabytes in yeah. size and, and you keep it around just because you haven't run out of space yet. Oh, trust exactly, me. Yeah. yeah. As someone who focuses <laughs> on defense a lot during DEF CON, I have lots of PCAPs. <laughs> <laughs> The man collects PCAPs. All right, Corin, how did you get into CTFs? Uh, actually, I got in because my mom had a friend uh, who was, like, talking to someone else at my high school. And they were like, you should go to this club. And, uh, yeah, that's how I got into CTFs. First CTF I played was Pico CTF 2013, mm -hmm. uh, which was a ton of fun. Um, and, yeah, I've been playing CTFs ever since, loving them. Um, I don't know. One of my favorite challenges uh, from Pico CTF is not actually one that I worked on. I just mm -hmm. watched Zach, who's our other friend, who dragged <laughs> yeah. Matt to PvP. Uh, he was uh, working on this Baleful challenge, which is like a crazy... Someone wrote like a, a, a obfuscating compiler for their compilers course, mm -hmm. and then just like made the challenge where they just like compiled some code, and that was the challenge. Yep, yep. Um, and he spent like some thirty hours like reversing this thing, and the you know the standard like intro CTF or like obj dump pipe into text file edit inside your favorite text editor uh reversing of this like enormous like obfuscated trash um yeah so that's uh that's my first ctf experience that's awesome what's the name of the club and is it still running uh the name of the club is csc computer security club at um and i think it's still running like i've seen some stuff about them running a ctf tjctf nice. still going on so awesome oh, yeah. so you Shout were from them. uh the it's the Thomas Jefferson High School? Yeah. Oh, okay. They're all, like, so uh, Adam and I went to, um, we did, our, and Antonio did our PhDs at UCSB, and there's a high school there, Dos Pueblos. And I guess Dos Pueblos and, and TJ, they're always. Uh, Big rivalry, yes. up at the top. <laughs> I have a rivalry. Oh, totally. Or at least back then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So I have a quick story about uh, the people at Dos Pueblos. So they got introduced basically to the, the shellfish like hacking meeting, the weekly meetings. And so I heard from somebody that like, Hey, there's going to be some high school students that want to learn about CTFs. They're going to come in. So I was like, sure. So I like <laughs> wrote up this whole thing about how to get involved in CTFs and like, you know, basic skills you should know, like Emacs and all this stuff. And, and uh, yeah, then, you know, as literally as I'm talking and going through this stuff, I can just see their eyes glazing over and they're like, yeah, we've played in multiple CTFs. We've done really well. And it was like Audrey and um, Paul and <laughs> in the audience. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And they're like, yeah, and then we did all this stuff with Python and like we can program python modules i'm like who are you people like how did this happen it was it was such an overwhelming experience uh that's yeah crazy it, it, so. it's amazing seeing just on a more general level um just super motivated and super knowledgeable people coming in from high schools um yeah. or even middle schools at one point at ucsb there was a middle schooler uh, that was teaching the um, graduate security of course or helping teach right. um you know stuff like that like it's it's cool. a pretty pretty incredible um thing to see how how motivated and knowledgeable kids can get uh, mm -hmm. like like you guys yeah for sure so jay what's your story yep uh i actually got started with war games before ctfs oh, cool. uh in particular i came across a site called hack the site.org uh which the name sounded enticing i knew nothing about hacking 
And uh, of course, I tried it out. Uh, I don't know if the site's still alive, but I didn't know much about security being a thing you could dive into, didn't know CTFs. This was back in high school. Uh, and then you fast forward all the way until undergrad, where I find out about a couple of CTFs that are happening, get together with a bunch of friends and, you know, played it, realized I love it, uh, then decided to intern at CMU, uh, loved mm -hmm. that as well, and then became a PhD student at CMU. So security just became part of my life, I guess. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's great. And Hack the Site is, I mean, if it's the same one, it's hackthesite.org. It is still up and running according to my browser right now. So. Nice. Yeah, shout out to them. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, Jan and I are similar, like in the sense that the whole reason I did my PhD in security and at Santa Barbara was because of CTFs. Like I would have graduated, gone to industry and never gone into academia at all if it wasn't for CTFs. So cool. Yeah, this is amazing. I love hearing uh, about the different stories and about uh, different ways that people can get in there. So cool. So maybe we can jump back into Ropship, but before we are, you know, go back to Ropship AI, but before we do, did any of uh, you three work on Ropship for DEF CON 27? All three of us, I think. Yep. Oh, cool. You want to share your experiences with us? Uh, well, what did you think? So like, walk us through, maybe if you can remember as a player, like, I don't know, like initial thoughts, feelings, or anything you can remember about the challenge. Uh, I'll start. Uh, my initial yeah, thought about Ropship was, wow. Because it was like one of the first like uh, big challenges where someone who has no idea about security, like I could show this to my grandma, uh, you know, like this this is stuff <laughs> that's happening. There's ships battling each other. We're controlling this right. ship, and this is the ship you should you know support because we're that team. Uh, which <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, giving that very visual uh, feel. I mean, I know none of us are you know game designers, but nonetheless, you know, connecting security up to this was a big deal. And uh, the original ship being, you know, very ROP oriented was still a lot of other concepts involved as well, uh, including like strategy and, you know, how you get to those ROP chains in the first place. So overall, it was a very well-rounded challenge aimed at both the players and audiences, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, cool. So not to make, you know, Antonio's head big, you don't have to, you know, give him too much, uh, too much praise, but I, we, we definitely appreciate it for sure. Uh, but you, you touched on a super important point, right? Which is something that we definitely struggle with as organizers of DEF CON. How do you bring this insanely cool technical things that all the players are doing and present it in a way that the public who's walking past, you know, you've all been there, they, they stream thousands of people walk past and watch the people playing DEF CON CTF. And, you know, we're all at our computers doing stuff <laughs> and it's so hard to convey what's actually going on. So yeah, that's a great point, Jay. Thanks. Any other yeah. thoughts? Uh, other organizers actually have tried to approach this in various crazy ways. There was one year where there was a, a challenge with a bunch of robotic ducks in the center of the room. Yeah, that was at DEF CON, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It was DEF CON... Something, something. Yeah, 2011, uh, 2012. I think it was 2011. Or 2012, because I remember Bryce spent the whole time trying yeah. to flip other people's ducks. Like, that was this whole thing. He just <laughs> had his laptop there by the arena. It was my first DEFCON, so I think it yeah, was... Yeah, so uh, it would have been... So I told you I arrived at the, at the sure. lab for an internship. 
at UCSB and the next day we shove him in a van and take him to Las Vegas. Yes. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Cool. So any any other yeah, any other rap ship thoughts from the original? Um, I, I think that was a team that we actually we really, really love that problem. Uh, both from the actual security perspective of, you know, hey, look, it's a really neat thing you can do with this concept that we play around with a lot in these hacking problems. Mm-hmm. But also just, it was a really fun problem to think about. Um, I know that I personally spent uh, a lot of my time just on the strategy side, uh, all the way from the starting of, what if we alternate right and shoot? Oh, wait, two rights and shoot, you actually hit two more people. So we should do that instead. Um, All the way from that to constructing really complicated and actual things that you might actually call strategies. Um, that's cool. So you were, you running simulations to try to come up with these strategies where you, yep, that was actually yeah. one of the, one of the first things we did, uh, in the first Rob ship. And that's what came up again with Rob ship AI was basically uh-huh. retooling, uh, the simulator that we were given so that we could swap out our strategy whenever we wanted to just basically evaluate how different strategies would play against the competition. That's fascinating. So did you separate that then from the like ROP payload generation logic oh, aspect? Yeah, totally. yeah. Like, and that's like a thing that we did again with ROPShip AI. It was mm-hmm. like separation of responsibilities. But I think like a thing that PPP really works on specifically is like figuring out ways to like get people to work together on the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so we had one, like uh, our teammate Robert is um, the uh, person who was working on like the thing, the assembler for ROPShip to be able to write the write the programs um yeah i i don't know i mean i think in general like this kind of problem is super fun um i love like creating rob chains like i have also <laughs> written ctf problems about creating rob chains like right. garbage truck from plat ctf several years ago um uh like crazy rob chain problems are, are my favorite so yes rob ship great great problem that was one of the first things i remember about my phd and doing ctfs in the lab was jan and i I think it was mostly Jan, and I was just like, hey, which problem are you working on? And he's like, it was one of the very early days before I think any of the ROP compilers or anything, and he's just like going through instructions by hand. He's like yes. writing down on a piece of paper addresses and what he could do. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to effing do this. I'm going to find every gadget I can. <laughs> dump and grep. Yeah. It was, uh, it was insane. It was insane. Like those are those early days of ROP were magical because you know with this return to programming, you blow away these breadcrumbs, you replace them with your vision, but your vision is is insane. It's some um, like specific tiny pieces of of a program that you build with. You know, it's like building a house, but but you have to do it with you know. Some, some, some pieces you found, found in like a, a junkyard, pieces of cars. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah so they're insane. not the same. They may stick weird ways. And if yeah. you, you may, it may be physically impossible to put two pieces next to each other, right? Because they hit each other. Yeah. I think the first time yeah, you successfully, I think the first time you successfully okay. rob, it feels like, it feels like learning to program for the first time all over again. Like the first time you printed <laughs> Hello World, that's what it feels like a second time when you rob successfully for the first time. Right, and Amazing. that's connected to what someone had said. It's programming a weird machine. Uh, it's yeah. uh, each of those gadgets are just these weird instructions that have you know long-range effects that you know no sane programming language developer would ever <laughs> build into their language. But it, it's what makes it fun. Right. Yeah, yeah and it really strips. I 
you know, on that vein, right? It kind of strips computing down to its basics, right? And saying like, okay, I need to understand this architecture to understand what each of these instructions and gadgets do and how they can interact and layer them on top of each other to then accomplish your high level goal, which is, yeah, this is great. Like what programming is all about, right? You want to print something on the screen? Well, it's easy in Python. It's a lot more difficult when you just have random gadgets. Cool. This is great. So then, okay, then let's take us to Ropship AI. So Antonio, maybe you yeah. can frame for so, us. What is the AI aspect? The AI aspect, AI? because uh, security is old school. Now AI is the future. So we wanted to add... Did you memorize AI. your own challenge description just for this? Yes. So... <laughs> hey, take a drink if you're listening at home. And... <laughs> uh, yeah. So there were, So instead of in, in, in this... In this uh, in dropship, dropship AI, instead of programming this logic through a rob chain, you had to provide the weights uh, defining the structure of a neural network. And the neural network then had to play the game. So this was the AI component. However, the neural network you could uh, program was very limited. I think it was... Uh, maximum two nodes as uh, the internal layer. So it was mm -hmm. extremely limited. So you could not really write a reasonable AI. You could manually write some logic that was kind of working, but you could not write a real AI as, a, as maybe okay, the Okay, so AI. you brought in, like you said, right? So, you know, security is dead, AI is the future, which is, you know, a joke, but at the same time, people actually believe that. So... You know, trying to demonstrate that uh, kind of get. So, what what was your let's say goal with the you know with the uh, challenge? I, I, like I why, guess why make that twist? Is it just you were so lazy you couldn't come up with no, another because, idea? No, because because then you... because then in reality there was a security problem in the challenge that you could mm -hmm. exploit to be able to program a much larger AI, uh, mm -hmm. and so by. Exploiting and when you say larger, you mean like larger neural networks? Larger neural networks, yes. Larger neural networks that, that could allow you to implement more uh, sophisticated strategies or could allow you even to use standard machine learning techniques to learn uh, your uh, logic. So, so I, I, my goal was to do something that was kind of a mix of security and, and AI. And so the idea I had was to do an AI challenge in which you had to exploit some security problem to really unleash the full uh, AI power, in a sense. So you have to leverage your security expertise to be able to leverage like the AI machine learning aspect, yes. right? So you have to use that as a lever to give you more capabilities in this other space, which then allows you probably for more complicated strategies. And, and then kind of the, the thematic thing, right, is that that security thing you have to leverage was ROP. In some small way, uh, <laughs> that that depends. That's complicated because uh, Inten the intended one. There were there were, so there were multiple bugs. There were at least two bugs. One was the intended one. Uh, let's say this: all the bugs were intended, but I was sure that one <laughs> could be exploited, and the other one, I didn't know it could be. A, I didn't know it was possible to exploit it, but most of the teams used the other one. Uh, except one team that used what I was thinking about initially. So, but anyway, I, I, I wanted, so this was not a challenge in which there was a single way to solve it. 
because the AI, you could do it in multiple ways, the memory mm -hmm. corruption, the security, you could do it in multiple ways. You could even just trying to make your limited AI. So without using your, without using the security expert, you could still mm -hmm. implement a not completely stupid logic that could win against a team not doing anything. And I think some teams at the beginning, they started by implementing an easy logic and limited logic. And then other teams at some point, some team maybe figure out the trick that you could implement as much, much smarter logic. And, and so this was again, very uh, useful for a challenge that was applied in a King of the Hill context. Mm -hmm. And especially there was a, a, a pause in the challenge. People in theory went to sleep, or at least the game was paused. Probably people right, didn't go right. to sleep. Between and, shifts. We talked and, about that before that we yes. had to run different shifts. That was all insane for everyone. And I'm sure everyone loved it uh, equally. I think Zach says 17 hour days, which was a good way of yes. <laughs> phrasing that as that monstrosity. But yeah, okay. So that's great. So then, but then to paint the picture, right? So the game itself was almost identical. But if yes. I remember correctly, there was one big difference. Yeah, there was some difference. It was slightly harder because there was a internal circle where that, yeah. so you could not so just like shoot a barrier in the middle. Yeah. So what was that, Jan? Uh, you couldn't shoot everybody from your initial position. Yeah. You right. had to actually yeah, so... intelligently fly around. Right. You couldn't just spin and keep shooting and expect to kill everyone. You could probably kill some people, but not not everyone. So yeah, so that was the minor, let's say, game on the game level ch change. And then you had uh, basically, in some sense, a very different way of uh, encoding this logic, right? Yes, definitely cool. different. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. So another big change actually was uh, the logic uh, was forced to be stateless. Uh, in that uh, yeah. you you could not maintain time, uh, which is something yes. that existed in the original dropship, which uh, our team ended up using to come up with these uh, what we call static strategies, where we aren't really reading information about the state of the world. However, through our simulations and these tools that we talked about that would build up, uh, we could simulate and figure out the best stra uh, static strategy uh, for example, you know, turn three right and then shoot once uh, and things of that nature, uh, which wasn't possible in this, uh, which threw another wrench into how we had to work towards solving this challenge. Yeah, so the, the AI network, it was really given a view of the world with no history and it had to make a call. Yes, uh, that th this was intentional and... Initially, it was different. Initially, one of the input that the network could get was the tick, was the current time. So you could, in theory, learn a network on that. Then I removed that. One thing you could do is that some actions had the timer connected to that to them. So like if you were shooting, there was a timer about uh, the time uh, remaining until you can shoot again. And so in theory, you could use these internal timers to train an actor so that that was reacting to certain states of these timers. Awesome. And well, I don't so know if any team go... did it, but... <laughs> well, maybe we can find out. So let's then go to game time. So when was this released? So we had four shifts during 
uh, DEFCON 28 CTF. So, yeah, release that I, release. if I remember correctly, Late Shift 2, two. right, Antonio? Late Shift 2. Mid so to late. probably with, yeah, probably with like, probably around yes. the middle, I think, with roughly four hours to go, I think, was the Yeah, the I think plan. It, it replaced Casino, which uh, we'll, maybe we'll talk about in a different uh, episode. Yeah, who knows? So, uh, okay, great. So then from, from the player's perspective, so new challenge appears. It's something that looks similar-ish to something last year. Did you get excited, scared? Excited. <laughs> one, of our, one of our biggest, I, I think the thing we were most disappointed in in the original Rob Ship problem was that it died too young um, because mm. I think it was either the last round that got played or the second to last round was the first round we shipped a real strategy for Aww. like a really complex strategy oh, okay. for Rob ship. I see. So we were really disappointed. So it was a really exciting to get another, another shot at uh, getting to play Rob ship. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So from a little bit of behind the curtains action at that point, we weren't a hundred percent certain that we could support multiple King of the Hill challenges <laughs> going at once. And so that kind of puts some, a damper on, this problem of like, well, we have one that like needs to go because we need time for all of them. And I think at that point it was like, well, we're going to give you Xboxes tomorrow morning. Right. That so was, it we... had to get out of the way to make room for doom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So but this year I think we, you know, I did better at that and actually tested and said, oh yeah, actually we can have multiple King of the Hills running and the world doesn't burn. So uh, yeah. So that was uh, kind of a funny ish uh, insight into that. So, okay. So you're excited about this rap ship AI. You start looking into it. What what kind of strikes you? I mean, I think everyone just like started reversing, and everyone was like, "Oh, we got to deploy our, our best strategies from last year." Now we have this this great strategy called Baby Shark, and we want we want to deploy Baby Shark as soon as possible. Uh, and uh, I think one of our teammates just like figured out the like the system and like super quickly hacked up like a little tiny neural net that was. Um, uh, like able to fit in the non-ropable mm-hmm. part and just like threw it out there like the spin and shoot classic strategy that we employed at the beginning of Ropship last year right. um uh and i mean that we started scoring like pretty quickly from that but um then everyone was like reversing trying to figure out how what are we what are we actually like, actually trying to do like mm-hmm. is there a bug um continued from there yeah yeah, getting That's early cool. getting early rounds was something that we focused really heavily on because we knew yeah. both from other king of the hill problems mm-hmm. and from last year that it's really easy to win early rounds because the bar isn't very high because not a lot of people have made a lot of progress yet. Um, so that was definitely one of the things we focused first on was uh, basically retooling the simulator so that we could use it to test new strategies and then just finding the most basic strategy, which if memory serves, I believe the strategy we used first was something like if, uh, like we just made a, a really basic neural net that used the two, the two node hidden layer that was basically just encoding if you can fire, fire, otherwise turn right. <laughs> and and we Amazing. we could see that of course in the visualization that the first thing that happens is teams start uh spinning, spinning and firing um and yeah you guys were super fast at that um and which is, is actually a big differentiator that you see between kind of the sorting of the scoreboard right um is teams um realizing where they can grab points fast and then mm-hmm. uh, keep going, especially on these King of the Hills. Like you right, said. because the bar gets set based on everyone else, right? Exactly. So at the beginning, especially literally with something like this Ship AI, everyone's literally at the bottom doing nothing, right? So if you can just do something slightly better and just kill one person, you're sitting yeah. pretty, right? Until everyone else catches up and then you have that kind of arms race uh, over time. So yeah, that's a great way. Thinking about the metagame aspect, right? Of how to you know snag as many points as possible. That that's fantastic. 
So what then? You got well, your minimal network. Yeah. So and I guess the other question, sorry, if I, I, go ahead. I uh, can jump in. So did you worry at all about anybody trying to steal that logic? I mean, it sounds very basic logic, right? If you can shoot, shoot, otherwise move right. Did you worry that people would see the visualization and then steal that basic strategy? I'd say not particularly. I know that one of the one of the big things that a lot of teams did last year was uh, it was really easy to copy each other. I think maybe it was something was public or it was because you could see the readout from every round. So if you had a static mm -hmm. strategy like we were talking about earlier, I know a lot of teams were just playing, oh, we'll take the best static strategy from the previous round and use it. And that was actually turning, returning really, really good results. I seem to recall talking to someone uh, who said that they were winning like maybe one in every four rounds just doing that. Someone else's strategy. Yeah. I remember that fantastic yeah. where they just started just turning right and just going around the edge and just shooting. Going around the outside. Because that's where yeah. everyone was. Yeah, I loved that watching those. It's so <laughs> cool. Yeah, watching the evolution of it was really cool. But um, we yeah. figured that because everybody had the same knowledge as we did from how it went last year, everyone more mm -hmm. or less knew that turn and shoot was going to be a good early strategy. So right. just getting it out as fast as possible was pretty much our top concern at that point. That's cool. Awesome. So then what other strategies did you kind of explore from there? Rough, you know, you've, somebody eventually found this uh, vulnerability, right, that you could leverage for greater, uh, greater AI. Right. So, so uh, fairly early on, uh, I think uh, uh, one of our other teammates, Robert, uh, you know, figures out the ROP and, uh, you know, has started working on making our neural net larger. Uh, at which point uh, within our team, we decide, you know, we're, we're going to split up work into figuring out how we can train up the network, figuring out what kinds of strategies can we encode and use that to train the net, uh, what, uh, trying to design the tools such that we can, uh, you know, test out different strategies against each other and uh, stuff. Uh, at which point we do get into training then. Uh, which was hours and hours and hours of pain. Because uh, trading a net up uh, for this was surprisingly hard. Uh, do, do any of you want to jump in with why? Sure. I mean, uh, I think, like, Matt uh, started off with, um, like, getting a really, really good setup so that we could, um, like, actually test things. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe Matt can talk a little bit more about that in a second. But uh, our other teammate, Zach, was, like, pulling up TensorFlow, like, trying to get training. And then we were, like, Matt and Zach and I were all sitting, like, at a table together uh, in Pittsburgh. And um, we're, like, ye like, yelling at each other, like, hey, when's the, when's the new training data ready? Here, let me, like, ship you this training data. And, like, so, like, I was working on um, writing some, like, high like complex python strategies that would like be super good to like generate the training data mm -hmm. uh and and like zach constantly asking for more data and he's like this strategy is so bad i need more data what's happening uh yeah matt you want to talk do you a still bit? have all those files on your system uh i de oh my god you don't want to look at my file tree for rob ship i have rob ship top level directory matt and then matt 2 which is the git repo that we eventually ended up using for everything like Amazing. halfway through halfway through working on rob ship i'm like all right shipping these files is getting ridiculous we literally have gitlab set up for defcon why are we not using it so i set up a git repo and then everything like got like 30 times easier thank goodness for uh Mission control. Let me yeah, tell you. Right. And like, I think this is common to a lot of our challenges, right? Where we start shipping single files over often enough until one of us gets annoyed and actually switches over to version control. So, 
I don't know how other teams do it, but this seems to happen for a lot of challenges for us. So, <laughs> That's um, amazing. You so know, wait, um, Matt, Matt, what was your, so you okay. worked on the tooling then? Yeah, so I was mostly focused on support for this challenge, especially early mm-hmm. on. Um, so my, like my first goals were just to do the same thing as last year, where we basically take the simulator, retool it so that we can swap out our own strategy whenever, and every other team's strategy as well, whenever we want. Once it became mm-hmm. clear that we were going to try doing some AI training, I also retooled it to actually dump training data in a format that was really conducive to running on. Um, so that it basically involved uh, our our strategy there was we basically hand coded a strategy that we thought we would like. So we took like uh, a version, I think it was actually a version of Baby Shark, and we were saying, okay, we're going to try and teach it how to be Baby Shark rather than teach it to do well. We teach it to be a specific thing. So all of our training data was just here's the current state, and then the correct output is what would Baby Shark do. Um, so basically I just wrote a, I wrote some tools to basically dump entire games at once, or you could set the state for various ships so we could get new training data, um, and swap out all the other ships strategies as well. So that was, that was a lot of my early work. So interestingly, that's very similar to how we trained our reference solution, right? Do you want to talk about that in time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Initially, I was just going to say, talking about the difficulties of doing this, I know. So 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 actually, you know, Antonio, this is his brainchild, but. Jan is kind of the ML whisperer, so he helped out a lot uh, yeah. getting that challenge going. So, yeah, initially I, I tried some fancy evolutionary way to try to train the network. It, it didn't really work out. So at the end, we I implemented some logic in Python, and then I we train a network to learn that logic. And uh, Jan helped me out with the training. And one problem that you were facing and we probably we didn't have was that the, the code of the network in in, in this case I, I didn't really I didn't release the, the code executing the network. So you 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 had to reverse it. And uh, well, we released the binary, right? But we Not released the, the binary. We released yeah, the right. binary. So uh, so Jan and I we had the so that code that you had to reverse was coming from a library. So Jan and I, we had uh, the the library also included the training part. So we could use the training yes. from the library. Uh, so, so the way that I, I guess the either you did you figure out the library because the library is available online. So you could have just figured it out, yeah, or yeah, you wrote you I wrote it, uh, it a lot to fit it into Antonio's strict requirements for uh, yeah, uh, security true. in that challenge. So the, there's a library. Uh, yes. Do you want to talk about that? Because I think that was the funniest thing watching the development of yeah. this challenge from afar. Is insane. I like Antonio Jan, You can't use memcopy. <laughs> fine, I'll implement memcopy, and then and then and then my best part, Jan, you can't use floating points. <laughs> or no, you can't use doubles. Double. Double. Yeah. Double. Double. Doubles. Yeah, doubles are a problem. I changed it to floats, and nothing works anymore. So the um, the library specifically, um, we needed a very small um, no de- excuse me no dependencies no uh, whatever fancy stuff um, neural network library. There's one called Genan, G E N A N N, and it's a really nice little uh, tiny C library for very simple neural networks, just uh, kind of square networks, uh, input, hidden layers, output, um, and uh, and bias, right? So they got, or no, not even bias. You have to no, do your own bias. Kind of, some sort of bias. Yeah. Kind of. Um, so so it, was, it was super small. We took it and, and then we uh, got this proof of concept uh, trained up. And then Antonio said, okay, now move it to Keras. 
And I was like, no, <laughs> no way. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we, yeah, we, so we didn't, we didn't figure out a way to use to, to, move, to train. That's right. We wanted to, to use Keras to train and the library to, to execute no, yeah. because there were small differences and, and yeah. all the weights were pointless. And, and yeah. And then Antonio was making me use floating points and nothing, nothing was working. And it was like 5 a.m. And I was like, Antonio, I just want to sleep. Amazing. Cool. So, okay. So then is this, are you doing the bulk of this, let's say in between shifts or is like, when did you have the kind of nice strategies uh, going where you'd, uh, you know, exploited the service to get more uh, neural network weights? So uh, we had more neural net weights pretty early on, but mm -hmm. even until the end of like, uh, or at least approaching the end of the uh, night shift after, you know, things shut down, uh, we right. still didn't really have training working too well. Uh, so, uh, and then we have uh, what we call the big boy bug, uh, which was uh, really, really annoying. Because I think it was... Uh, so, I mean, yeah, like literally Zach and I sitting next to each other for like four hours straight, like yelling at each other, like, why is this not working? Like, uh, we're, and, and we're, this is like after Matt has already written the compiler, like we're, we're not training anymore. Like we abandoned that approach. Matt can talk about the, like how he wrote the compiler um, in a little bit, but basically um, like we, we have some neural net st strategies that we want to use and we're like trying to like turn them. So like Robert wrote this script and I wrote this thing that like takes outputs from our compiler and like formulates them for Robert's script. And we're like turning them into like ready to go neural nets. And it's just not, it's not working and we cannot figure out why four hours. We're like trying to use GDB to like look at the outputs of every single step of the neural net computation. Like, did we screw up on our outputting the weights? Like, did we screw up on, so like we like step through an entire neural net computation in GDB, just like one, one node at a time. And that like everything is correct and we cannot figure out what's going on. And at the end, we see that like right. so we this got was, the right output. And this was about the time when I had basically uh, kind of started rewriting the, the TensorFlow trainer thing uh, from scratch because one, when you realize things aren't working, one way to fix everything is to <laughs> just redo from scratch. And in the middle of redoing this from scratch, uh, I decided to pick up uh, the uh, indices, which was like the outputs were these one hot encoded versions, uh, and the index from that to, uh, you know, the actual move, you know, up, down, left, right, attack, uh, uh, shield and so on. And the letters there seemed wrong. Like it just seemed the wrong order when I read it. And, uh, suddenly I was like, dude, wait, hold on. Everyone stop talking for a second. Uh, what are the letters supposed to be? And yes, that was like four or five hours of our lives oh, uh, no. that we spent on uh, a permutation of letters. Uh, 
Uh, I am 99% yeah. sure I got that permutation from someone else, but I will accept blame for that problem because that was, <laughs> it was me who pushed it out to everyone. <laughs> hey, you know, we've all been there, but you you may have been playing the most beautiful game, just that your controls were messed up. That's right. right. Exactly. Well, like, like, we have no idea if the neural net trading like actually worked because the neural net trading was just like outputting the wrong values. So when it like tried to move, it was just doing the wrong thing. And this was like in the middle of the in the middle of the round. This was not like bef- in the middle of the night. Like we were wasting like three hours at the beginning Anytime. of the day with yeah. like garbage strategy from the previous day because our just our compiler was amazing. We had amazing baby shark was like going hot, and we we're just outputting the the wrong order. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great. This I is a great point. Issues. I think this is. This is something that everyone can relate to, right? Um, you get yes. super deep into a challenge, yeah. and you think you're making progress, Lord. and something doesn't work, and is driving you crazy. And Jay, you made a great point of like sometimes it's best if somebody else just <laughs> like don't. You find those in software development. Like, it's the same issue with. I'm sure I screw that up by myself sometimes and yeah, and, and, and yeah you too probably something about the the when i try to use your ai in my code there were a lot of problems with the index yeah. and the letter and the node yep 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 it's it's tricky uh, these little things i mean you're talking about approaching um uh, i mean hacking challenges of various difficulty but sometimes like hard as nails like the 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 most difficult um hacking challenges you can imagine and it's not the hacking that you have a problem with you know it's it's like a typo in a script or but, you know some uh, a good example or like that stupid bug that i had in uh, our first defcon finals defcon 26 that like messed up the scoring like our scoring algorithm exactly. wasn't coded the way it should be only on the and first I remember, day but yeah 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 it was was it brian that came up or tyler or somebody from uh brian PPC? i think he's like yeah, like your scoring doesn't match at all what your algorithm says. It's just like, okay, I can't think right now. We'll have to fix it later. Like, and then Doug, you know, I had, luckily we had some fresh people that could actually go and I was like, write test cases, like prove that this bug exists and write test cases and then fix it. And I looked at it and it's just this insane, stupid Python variable leakage in a for loop that got reused later. And it's just like, yeah, super silly bug that like, but yeah, I, yeah. I think uh, the point you can make here is that your ability to debug it's what it is what makes really the difference because uh, maybe you write something super complicated and super hard to debug and so you know that at some point you're going to have a bug and, and, and you need to go back from the beginning instead if you are able to write something that you are that you can debug reasonably easily mm-hmm. then. You can fix the problems and write an awesome AI. That's... So that's the reason why the AI. I, at the beginning, I tried to train with a super complicated AI, but then I had all these sort of issues, and so then I, I tried to train. I trained with a very easy AI that was very predictable, but from a human, so that I could really know if the AI was working correctly or not. Because AIs are intrinsically something hard to debug now, because you don't really know what they are learning. So I it's had to the implement problem AI. of all these deep learning yeah, stuff. <laughs> I had to implement something that was so easy that was basically deterministic. So I was sure that if it was not working, it was because my problem and not YAM problem. So 
in a sense, I in a sense, I face the same issue. Exactly what Corwin said, right? He was debugging in GDB yeah. this freaking neural network, right? <laughs> step by step, like that's you know crazy. You had the challenge, you had the source, and you you know you could still. So there's something it, interesting here about complexity management. Yeah, I even, yes. even in writing that thing, I mean, the the, the library Janan actually has a couple more features that you know I tore out. Basically, we use the core. Um, calculation forward calculation of neural network it also had the back propagation algorithm right and and uh, at one point trying to figure out why doubles would work but floats wouldn't i was sitting you know i wrote a gdb script to dump out it was it was awful <laughs> um yeah so it's it's these little things right yeah, no, this is great. And I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, talking about that, because I think that's something that's pretty easy, you know, for the outside, nobody ever sees that, right? So yeah. they don't really realize that. And so I, it happens literally everywhere to everyone. So I think normalizing that is great. So then how did your then strategy evolve towards maybe the end game? So I think one of the things that Antonio mentioned, which was the, the determinism part, uh, trying to make the AI training a bit more deterministic and understanding what's going on is where our compiler approach came up, which is Matt's creation. Uh, Matt, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, yeah so sure. I guess I'll, I guess I'll tell us a little story. So uh, the end of shift two, it's, or sorry, shift, I guess it's shift three, shift two, one of those, whatever. It's like two in the morning now. Um, I got up at, I slept through most of shift two, so I got up at about nine, so I'm, I'm pretty tired at this point. Um, we basically div divvy up tasks for the night. Some people are going to work on trying to trade a neural net, um, my job was I was going to work on trying to make a small neural net that basically just encoded a subset of our strategy that we like that we call Baby Shark. Um, so this was basically just a subset that was like turn towards the nearest person and shoot if we're facing them and they're not shielding or something really similar to that. Um, so my job was just to write a really small neural net so that if everything else fell apart, we had something to deploy in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead and I did that. Um, and I was thinking, like, oh, there's a lot of, like, really nice primitives that you could try to derive from this. You could, you know, uh, like, we have basically implementing numerical comparison here. And along the way, I figured out that, oh, if we, you know, digital logic is basically just analog logic where you have pushed everything to the extremes. So if we just right. take a neural net where we, you know, we're combining things, we end up with a weight that gets run through, that gets, you know, run through this... Uh, this activation function, so it's uh, a number between zero and one. If we just multiply all of our edge weights by like a hundred thousand, suddenly everything's pushed to the extremes, and you end up with a zero or a one, which is yeah, you know, it's digital logic. That's exactly what you want. So I was like, huh, you could probably do a lot of really interesting things with this. And so my my plan had been I was going to sleep from like five to eight or five to nine thirty just to get a little bit of sleep in before the next day. Right before I was going to go to bed, I was like, huh, I'm really excited to try this, and if I don't do it now, it's not getting done. Oh, that's so, the worst. The worst and the <laughs> yeah. best when you're so ready to go to bed. Oh, man. All right. Go so ahead. I can't. Your mind is running. So at 5 a.m., I sit down and I'm like, I'm going to write a compiler. So basically what I did was I, I worked out a grammar, which was basically you had expressions, which were either one of the inputs to the network or a scalar times an expression or two expressions added together. Um, you could take those. Um, you could combine them together. Basically, it was you could compare those, so you could say greater than or less than, and then you could do a logical not and an or on top of those. Um, and then in the end, you output one of the seven options, uh, move forward, move back, left, right, shoot, shield, or wait. Um, so I was like, okay, it looks like if we build digital logic, we should be able to do this as long as we keep our resulting net small enough at the end. And Corbett could talk a lot about optimizing later because that was something we ran into. 
But uh, basically, I just sat down and I banged something out. And at about eight o'clock, I had something that seemed to be roughly working. Um, basically, it was at a point where you could, I could produce a neural net and I could look at it manually and I could trace it by hand and say, yes, this is doing what it's reporting that it's supposed to be doing. Um, and that was really exciting. And obviously, I am dead tired at this point. But uh, this is about when the fires started, about having our outputs in the wrong order. Um, <laughs> so now we're all like kind of dividing our attention between we need to like actually use this to build a cool strategy, but also we need to make it actually work. Um, yeah, I think this is, and it's about, at about this time that we finally figure out what's going wrong. We're a little bit into shift three at this point, I think maybe an hour or two in. Um, and we finally deploy our first version and everything is awesome. Um, and it's at that point that we actually get to start working on improving our strategies. And uh, Jay and Corwin could talk a lot more about that uh, because it was, I think about four hours in that the node problem got released and being one of our web-focused people on the team, I had to jump ship to go to that one. Great. <laughs> nice. right. so, and actually, uh, we, we uh, talked about the node problem in another episode. So uh, ah, exciting. maybe we can... It'll be interesting to see what you think about the, that process. Yeah, Anyways, let's... yell at yell at Alex, uh, you know, exactly. through your podcast app. <laughs> cool. Uh, so then, okay. So then, jumping yeah, to strategies then, optimizing this thing. Uh, yeah, please, please. Right. So uh, now that we have a compiler, uh, and like uh, even without the compiler, like originally when we were building strategies, because uh, we were, uh, as we've mentioned before, we'd kind of split up the work and. I was focusing a lot on strategy design and uh, you know trying to make it easier to build better strategies and also trying to build better strategies. And we've kind of referenced this baby shark strategy a lot. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what baby shark is. Uh, so are you gonna sing for us? Sorry. Are you going to sing for us? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> no. Sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering if anybody was going to do it. I don't actually... All my friends have kids. They like love that song. So <laughs> I just thought somebody would do it. All right, go ahead. I'm not going to make yeah. you sing, for sure. Uh, so. <laughs> so Baby Shark was a strategy that we'd originally created for Ropship, the first Ropship. And mm -hmm. uh, the core idea of the strategy was you aim at things... Uh, walk towards them so that you're in like reasonably nice distance. You're not too close, you're not too far, and then you shoot. Uh, if someone's shooting at you, you shield. It's it's basically a really, really simple, uh, quote-unquote, obvious strategy. Uh, however, uh, what's really fun is how it behaves, uh, which I believe is uh, also what led to its name or was in the name wasn't, I, I forget which direction the inspiration was from, but uh, it has this behavior where uh, it ends up creeping up to an opponent. And if it's not yet able to shoot, it almost acts like it's lunged towards the opponent and then backed away for a while. <laughs> I, re I remember watching this on screen. Uh, you only, you deployed it for one round we, last year or was it? Yes. This was at the end of last year. We had finally got of, of active strategy okay, yeah, yeah. working. I, I remember seeing a lunge. Right. That's cool. So the lunge was basically Baby Shark V1. And uh, there's this really important thing about AI, right? You want a good AI, you have to come up with good names. So Baby Shark is an important <laughs> uh, milestone in AI. Uh, and then uh, as Baby Shark evolved, of course, version numbering and so on, major minor numbers. 
But then it evolved into a new strategy called Spoderman, uh, which is uh, which was a fun little strategy that worked really well once Baby Shark wasn't doing too well anymore. Like other teams had learned from that. And this is still uh, Ropship or Ropship AI? This is Ropship AI. In Ropship, okay. we had only gotten until Baby Shark, oh, and the retired. challenge was retired. Right. Uh, yeah. For Ropship AI, we went to Baby Shark, we went to Spoderman. Uh, multiple versions of Spoderman, uh, at which point we switch over to Birdie McBirdface at the at basically the end of the 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 just before the challenge was retired because teams had caught up to how Spoderman was doing and we had to fight back with Birdie McBirdface. And what were the differences between those again? Uh, right. So Baby Shark, as I mentioned, was this lunging behavior. Uh, Spoderman, on the other hand, was a very weird AI in that uh, it had also learned to walk away from bullets and try to behave a little randomly. So uh, bringing in randomness into any of these AIs was hard because we didn't have a source of randomness. However, if your AI is kind of complex enough and you set up your thresholds <laughs> badly enough, uh, you can kind of introduce randomness, uh, and uh, this this helped, and uh, that was Spoderman. And I mean, I think I I remember like the the main reason we called it Spoder was like it was Baby Shark, and Baby Shark did this thing where it would like go and it would like try to get in the right distance, and then it would stop. And Spoder instead of like trying to stop, it would just like go back and forth, and just like. <laughs> Like, it would try to go in and be like, oh, I'm too close, let me back up. Oh, I'm too far away, let me go in, until it was able to shoot. And then this is why it was just, like, looked so ridiculous. That was, I think that's why right. it, the, the spoder it, came, came it, about. It had a lot more of that back-and-forth behavior. Uh, and uh, finally, Birdie McBirdface was, uh, like, a slightly more advanced way of actually trying to work around uh, some of the restrictions of, by the end if you have still survived, your opponents might actually be on the other side and you cannot see them at all. Uh, so trying to aim for the nearest one is kind of difficult. Uh, on, and also certain strategies work well early on uh, from what we noticed from other people's strategies. And others worked well if you survived. They were horrible if you, uh, you know, had similar people around you at that time. So it was this logic of uh, trying to figure out if we're early game or not, uh, which was an interesting thing when you don't have a sense of round numbers or time. Right. And uh, also, you cannot see the entire board. Uh, as a reminder, uh, this challenge, you uh, the inputs you were given was a tiny fraction of uh, the actual game state. You could only see the three nearest uh, people and bullets around you, or uh, triangles or ships. Uh, it, it wasn't people. No people were harmed in the making of this challenge. Well, that we know of. That we know of. <laughs> Mostly Antonio. We burned some GPU powers, and I don't know what Jan had to do to make it happen, and Antonio. No, the crazy thing is I spent one night configuring my uh, new GPU and so forth to, to, to learn on these tiny little inputs. Yeah, uh, that in that library, but didn't then you support. didn't use that. Yeah, I didn't use that at all because we moved to the C library. So. Yeah. There we go. So just Zardis's time was uh, spent, let's say. Yeah, I do. So that that's a great, lot. Jay. So that's super interesting. So yeah, so then the different, you know, I think 
maybe there's some Hunger Games parallels of like the strategy at the first part of the game when everybody's there is way different than at the end. And then maybe the fact of changing the geometry of the arena, right, by adding the the piece in the middle meant that you had to now do these uh, really complex strategies towards the end. Right. And talking about complex strategies, in fact, uh, turns out the original compiler uh, produced really good code, but uh, it wasn't actually good enough for us to be able, like it would produce a network that is way too big. Uh, if we had any of these complex strategies, one of the good things about mm -hmm. Baby Shark, since it's a baby AI, uh, it was kind of small. Uh, and once we moved on to Spoder or Birdie McBirdface, uh, they were way more complex, uh, which is at the point at which uh, Corbin jumped in with his optimizer. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, like, part of the thing that was so, like, Matt wrote this, it was like his brainchild, it's like an amazing piece of code. Matt's asleep, or Matt's working on Node or something. Matt is not available. <laughs> and we're trying to make these AIs, and we have this, like, hard limit of 16,000 possible floating point weights. And um, the, the fact that, uh, well, it's not, like, I've heard from people after the CTF that maybe 16,000 was not the limit. You could, like, do even more clever stuff to, like, get around that and, like, chain multiple networks, <laughs> like, on top of each other or something? Uh, that, that, I don't that's know. Something but... I don't know. That, that's something I don't know. I think people <laughs> found ways to exploit the network even more than what I thought All right, initially. well, send us, you know, send an email to ctfradio at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter and let us know if you were the one who did that and we can maybe talk to you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we had this 16,000 weight limit and we were like trying to come up with strategies and we would write something that seemed totally innocuous and it'd be like 30,000, 30,000 weights. And we're like, why? why is, what is happening? We have like no intuition for like what stuff you write gets turned, like how like the, the function that gets turned from your input to like how big the network is. Um, but it actually turns out that there are lots of ways that we could optimize it. We could like do De Morgans to like push all of the knots down to the bottom of the tree, mm -hmm. and we could um, flatten all of our ands and ors to just be like completely flat. And um, uh, like by doing all these sorts of optimizations, um, basically like each layer of the of the circuit that we were forming was like another layer of the of the neural net, and adding another layer to the neural net like had a huge additional uh, size to the amount be because like even if you're the amount the the number of nodes at that level in the circuit were like two you still had to have a matrix of the same size as your lowest level so like at like adding one additional layer would add like a huge factor to your the size of your net um so like i wrote these optimizations to like do the De Morgans, like push the knots to the bottom of the tree, um, like simplify everything, and we got like a factor 10x improvement wow. in the size of our of, in the size of our neural nets, and so we were able to like jump from like these little baby like three if statement things to like enormous chains of if statements, like casing on what state of the game you're in, and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. So That's basically, so cool. to to uh, play this challenge, you wrote an optimizing discrete logic compiler that produce neural networks. That's insane. And this that, is what uh, I love about the, CTFs, you know, like amazing. Uh, it's, yeah. it, it, it involves us building these pretty large and complex tools uh, for what is basically just a game for, for basically what is just virtual internet points. Right. And uh, <laughs> it, it is amazing what we can do in 
a short amount of time. Of course, it's not production ready code, but it shows us that with uh, the right amount of persistence and the right amount of, uh, you know, us willing to spend that time and being motivated enough and the right amount of sleep deprivation as well, which we have to agree, it helps and hurts. Uh, yes, for sure. Uh, it, 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 there's definitely some assistance that sleep deprivation does give you. Yep. It's like the willingness <laughs> to like throw your head against yeah. the problem for a certain yeah. amount of time that you would not have if you were like in your yeah. normal state of mind. Yep. So yeah, that, that I, never, I never got to a like point. Just really crazy. I never got to a point in my story where I went to sleep. That didn't actually happen until and it was like <laughs> I, th I think I took a nap for an hour and a half at like six p.m. the next day. It was. I was up for like thirty six hours or something. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it's like barely a nap man. <laughs> at that point. It's, it's just. It's just mean to yourself. You're just tasting sleep, but not actually. Well, it got sleep. to the point where I was uh, trying to. I was trying to solve Node, and instead, I was just falling asleep at my laptop. So, well, yeah. <laughs> amazing. We've definitely all been there. So, I have a quick question. So, were you able to defeat the limitation on the number of layers? Yeah. So you bypassed that. Yeah. So uh, that I I was unaware that was possible to bypass. So, and and I think uh, many yeah. teams I think many teams did not bypass that. So many teams they oh, could they could make layers uh, up to I think sixty four nodes, but they could not have more than two layers or whatever. Yeah. I uh, yeah. Robert wrote this like crazy. It was like amazing. He wrote this thing. I like format everything plug it in and it's like spits out like an enormous file of like weights and it just like runs and it works and besides the besides the big boy bug we talked about earlier uh <laughs> robert's code was like great uh i mean we had this uh, we had this an another annoying crazy bug where um matt's compiler output matrices where it wasn't uniform size matrices and so we like had to pad the matrix like the matrices up to the full oh, size and i wrote this padding code and i like never have used numpy before and i like used the wrong padding function oh, no. so instead of padding with zeros it padded with copies of the matrix oh no so we're like <laughs> why are we getting garbage yeah there's something crazy like np.pad of matrix has different behavior from matrix.pad or something like that <laughs> 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 yeah, NumPy, you can you can really uh, step in some bad stuff by accident. There. That was actually a good um, example of uh, just trying again from scratch was the best way to solve it because we ended up just uh, modifying the compiler itself to output uh, equal size matrices. I just called it a day. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, fix the problem upstream, and then so, yeah, we still have the buggy code. It still will yeah. do the wrong thing if the compiler's not good. But fortunately, the compiler's good. <laughs> Question for you. You don't have to commit to anything on stream or anything, but um, have you thought about releasing this uh, discrete logic neural network compiler? Uh, yes, actually, we're we're going to do that relatively soon. Corwin and I have awesome. been. Corwin and I are supposed to be writing a blog post about it, but we never got around to it. So uh, hopefully, that'll be happening actually, in the near future. We Zach should uh, synchronize the launch of, of this episode with that blog post. That oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be we great. Definitely do mm -hmm. that. Give cool. at least yeah. some kind of a deadline, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we know, CTFs act as a forcing function, right? To yep. like force right. you to <laughs> do something, learn something. And and, and so, so yeah. and one thing that I, I release all the logics submitted by all the players. So oh, of course, cool. it you don't you don't know how they create them, so you don't you don't have all the code, but you can replay all the game and see the evolution of PPP logic or the evolution of other things and. 
who was the first yeah, team moving and so on. That's great. So we'll also link in the show notes. Um, yeah. But one thing I want to say, be... oh, please, go ahead. that it could be malware. I don't have any responsibility about those files. There could be anything <laughs> inside them. Team submitted crazy stuff, especially at the beginning. They submitted pictures. They submitted health files. So I have no idea what they submitted. So most likely there is malware G- there. GPL licenses? Is that... No, I, I think... <laughs> different problem. I, I, yeah, I that was a different problem. So much <laughs> malware or something. So... Amazing. Yeah, and then yeah. there's also a YouTube uh, video that uh, we'll link to that has the entire two hours and 42 minutes of playtime yeah. of Ropship AI, just one after the other. So if you really oh, want to awesome. just zone out and get back for into that three hours. AI If you mindset, want to watch just... for three hours triangles, that's a good... Uh... Did we speed it up? Why? Oh, because the rounds would last less than five minutes, right? No, because uh, I am doing 15 frames per second, and oh, so okay. do the math. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's... some of the things are like hard to watch when you're watching it that fast. Uh, like if you want to see like the intricate details of like when did someone decide to d- run into the wall and stay there for five, five but, seconds but that's so that is all released <laughs> so you can go you can go and download that and and run the visualizer and do rerun the game one, yeah rerun the entire oh, game yes yeah, so, cool. so connected to figuring now. that information out uh so this was one of the things we built up via tooling uh which was to display much more information than the d- visualizer would by default show us so we would get countdowns of how much time someone has to a certain move, uh, what moves they might have done recently, uh, oh, cool. and so on. So uh, as part of the strategy building, you know, getting a lot of information is uh, super, super helpful. And it'd be super fun to actually try out other strategies. Yeah, I'd love to see the files once you have it up. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, you know, what what you're talking about was you have these, um, it's almost like you took a game, right? And you added your own like debug layer yes. to the game, right? right. To help exactly. you um, understand even just what's going on, right? It's not a cheat or anything. It's just literally helping you understand so that you can see about strategies. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, cool. Well, impressed. I think we've anybody have any other Ropship AI thoughts? I think we've plumbed a lot of this depth. So I actually have a, a, a question circling back to Antonio. Um, I remember when you joined O and decided to, you know, write insane challenges. Um, you told me I have this crazy idea and I'm going to make uh, the players write Rop code. Was this an idea that was like? in your mind for a while is this like your dream challenge to write or did it just come to you in a nightmare or something uh, i love how you called it a nightmare not a dream <laughs> <laughs> no i think it was an idea that was going around for a while at, at the beginning i thought it was more uh, at the beginning i thought it was like less interesting then uh, when i started developing i realized that both the original ropship and these other ropship, I realized that there were not obvious choices that team could do, and so I, I don't. Think in fact, I didn't even know what was the right way to do a training. A logic instance. compiler for for neural, yes, net- for neural exactly. networks. Yeah. So just turning it, saying like, ah, screw learning. I'm just going to turn you into a little CPU. And then write <laughs> optimization passes for it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's amazing. No, the dream That's challenge it. is what I'm preparing for next. Oh, no, no, no. I can't say anything, ah, man. What's wrong with you? All right, all right. <laughs> the nightmare. 
It's the one problem with this uh, with exactly. this uh, podcast. We have to be very careful about what we say so people don't try to pick it apart for hints for next year. Awesome. Uh, cool. Awesome All right. Stuff. Well, uh, any okay. So I think maybe we can end on. I like ending on kind of uh, advice. So you know, from uh, Matt Corwin and Jay. Any advice to you know? I think we've hit on a lot of things. Any other kind of advice you have to players or? You know, it could be to, you know, play at a high level or newbies to get into CTF. Like, you know, can you share some of your wisdom with the community? I mean, I, I think that, like, the two key things to succeeding at CTF are, like, finding some friends to do it with you because that makes it, like, a ton of fun. Playing CTFs by yourself is not nearly as fun as playing CTFs with other people. Uh, I don't know, like one of my favorite memories is we were solving solving this bananas challenge where it was like a it was like a program it was that spelled out banana with different cases and so we were all just like around one computer four people crowded around banana like yelling banana at each other uh it was amazing like finding some people to, so that you can yell banana at each other at 4 a.m definitely key to ctfing and the other key thing is um like persistence and mm -hmm. staying like i mean Certainly, don't ruin your sleep schedule if you, like, uh, are uh, worried about that. But, like, persisting on that challenge well past the point where you think that uh, you're going to, like, you're, you're kind of done with it. Like, you have to, like, a lot of CTF challenges are super hard. You have to keep working on them. You have to, like, keep pushing and, like, take a break, go eat some food, let it simmer, come back, keep pushing. Like, CTFs are really hard. So in order to succeed, you really got to put in the time. Yeah, I'd say definitely the biggest piece of advice that we always give to new people who are joining PPP is just play a bunch. Um, I know that definitely for me, it was, uh, I played a little bit before I joined PPP, but it was uh, my freshman and sophomore year, especially freshman year in particular. Uh, I was playing a CTF almost every weekend because I had a lot of free time that, that particular year. And that was definitely what, uh, that was the, the biggest thing that made me as uh, well-versed in CTF as I am right now was just honestly playing CTFs over and over again, seeing all of the all of the patterns, learning all of the, basically just picking everything up, even through contact. Like, even if you right. don't know what's going on, just seeing somebody else, like working on a problem with someone else, even if you have no idea what you're doing, you learn a lot that way. Yeah. yeah so I will definitely echo what both uh, Matt and Corwin have said, but also uh, you kind of have to develop this hacker mentality in some sense. The hacker mentality, and I think, uh, Ginvale has said this, it's uh, uh, the amount of unnecessary detail that you're willing to learn, and it's what drives you as well. Uh, I would say each and every one of us uh, is kind of attracted to levels of unnecessary detail, which others would consider completely unnecessary. Like, who needs to uh, actually design and work with a neural net to control a game which is done using ROP. It's a level of unnecessary detail, but it's when all that detail all adds up. It's, uh, it's when it all finally slots together that we get to, you know, uh, the, the true hacks. It's, it's what drives us. It's the adrenaline push. So. Yeah, and I think that gets back to the you know original definition of hackers as those uh, folks in uh, I believe it was MIT in the uh, was it the train uh, club that they had and they you know were model train enthusiasts as I remember and so they 
found cool ways to make trains do things that trains do. I don't know. I'm not super into trains, but like, you know, they, that's where like the term cool hack came from and like hacker derived from that. And so, yeah, I think that's beautifully said. I think we're kind cool. of recreating uh, the, the step that happens when logic gates become a, a almost thinking entity in the same way that we, <laughs> you know, take a look at a bunch of uh, soup of floating point numbers on the neural network. And suddenly it's a video game strategy that someone handcrafted. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, any of our uh, great guests, do you have anything to plug? Do you want people to follow you on social media companies to shill for, you know, we're all for it, whatever you want. I mean, it'd be weird if we were all here and we didn't try to plug pod CTF. Uh, oh, yeah. well, one of our favorites. <laughs> it's the CTF that PPP runs every year. Uh, yeah. Core would shut off. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> um, nice. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, we, we awesome. love running that 2021, sometime in April, probably. We look forward to Beautiful. Uh, I think, when did plan first start, CTF, you guys know? I'd also recommend the smooth, smooth taste. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking, yeah, exactly. No, I was going to, because I think Jan and I talked about kind of the history of CTFs, and now it's, you know, CTF every week. But back then, it was like, uh, when we started, it was basically, you know, DEF CON and ICTF, and there was nothing until yeah. i think it was plaid was one of the first ones where you're like wait what another team like a team is hosting a ctf and like boston key party and there was like these kind of initial first ones where you're just like this is amazing and then it just like ctf every weekend now. so, so, so in an earlier podcast episode um i talked about how ctf we, we, we keep pushing the edge of security right so it used to be and i conveyed this this um uh, story we had where we were approaching like a, a very like a 500 level opponent level like in 2010 2011 something along these lines and it had um aslr enabled uh remotely and we you know contacted the organizers on irc and said hey i, I think you misconfigured something you have aslr in on your your opponent level. and they said oh sorry about that and they turned it off <laughs> that was the same again. Plaid CTF. I think it was the first Plaid CTF. Um, I literally stayed up for forty-eight hours straight, for real. I didn't sleep. It was insane. Um, toward that, I was having delusions. Like the walls were wavy. Um, it was crazy. Um, and uh, we, uh, there was a you know every every opponent you get an NX is on, ASLR is on, and you're you're just check double check just to you know are you sure this is and and they answer yes and that was like a, a step a shift in in um instead of ctf as you know this this is our like introductory concepts and so forth so this is the cutting edge of security and directly from that i think um from this sort of shift in the community we see the modern situation of ctfers going on to Pwn to own and et cetera, et cetera, you know, and, 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 and the movers and shakers of security. On the other end, now there is, uh, sorry, no, now there is much, much more uh, information that you can find. And uh, yeah. when I started, there was like one website, like that's it. And some and weird uh, tutorial. Crazy and... people shoved you in a van and drove you to Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What are you saying, Matt? I was going to say, this leads to another uh, good piece of advice for uh, anyone who's just getting started, which is like, hey, this is actually really hard. Uh, CTFs these yes. days are tend to pull out all the stops. And, you know, the things that were considered really hard, you know, five to 10 years ago, 
are like the 100 point to 200 point problems today. Yeah. So like, don't get discouraged if you don't get it at first, because like the bar has just gotten insanely high, especially in the past few years. The bar's gotten high, but yeah. also the resources are yeah. getting better as well. Yeah. So uh, definitely there's uh, there's a lot more that you can find. Uh, and yeah, uh, one of the other plugs uh, specifically because the three of us are here, uh, would be the yeah, other yeah. CTF that PPP is involved with, which is Pico CTF, uh, which is amazing for people who are starting off with CTFs. It's a CTF uh, mostly aimed at high school students. However, uh, it's open for anyone to play. Uh, the, the prizes apply to high school students, of course, but the CTF kind of tends to run throughout the year. Uh, like the challenges are up throughout the year, uh, wargaming style. However, the CTF itself is a more shorter duration each year. So Plaid and Pico, uh, both of which doesn't matter what uh, experience level at CTFs you are, uh, we've always got something for you. Yeah, I just wanted to add that uh, Pico, like you can start with having never opened a terminal before and by the end you're actually hacking really interesting binaries. So it really is for any skill level. Great. Yeah, I, I remember, I think with the, when Pico first came out, it was, again, one of those moments where it's like, oh, that's such a good idea, and this is so cool. And, like, yeah, it's a great resource to get people in. So it's really nice to see, you know, we have two people here that came into the CTF scene through Pico CTF and now are, you know, helping uh, run CTF teams and making uh, insane <laughs> insane dropship AI compi optimizing compilers. Like, it's it's super cool to see. So. Cool. Antonio, do you want to um, try to convince someone, anyone to join your PhD program? Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm a professor at Purdue. So of course, I'm always uh, looking for uh, students or you even just Jay, interns. They, they want to collaborate and they want to do some research here at Purdue. I guess you can find me on, on Twitter and uh, send me a DM or send me an email and I will try to answer to you quickly. Yeah, I think all of Amazing. us are on Twitter. So uh yeah, yeah, please plug like, those. Panels. I guess you could put us in the show notes. Uh, I will. You can plug it now, though. Uh, can people find you? Cool. I am at uh, J underscore Foxtrot. That's J A Y underscore F zero X T R zero T. Perfect. I am. Corwin? Oh, go ahead. Oh, Corwin? sorry, Matt. Oh, I messed that up. <laughs> Corwin, take it. Uh, I'm I at I am Corwin. It's pretty pretty easy. Amazing. I am at the Blue Pichu. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. I'm Adam D. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Dupay. Uh, he's Zardis. You can find him on Twitter at Zardis. We're CTF Radio. You can find us online on YouTube and Twitter at CTF Radio with three O's. And you can send questions through email at ctfradio at gmail.com. Again, three no's and, uh, and three O's. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll, uh, Use your email and do some uh, questions at some point. So take care and happy hacking. See you, everyone. Bye. See you.